Women in Wellbeing is an Edmund Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Morala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kippun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the Mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eden Center Women and Wellbeing Podcast, where we discuss issues relevant to women and couples' well-being. For the last few episodes, we have focused on aspects of well-being related to the war in Israel, and we will continue to do this today. This episode is dedicated to the Rafuash Shlema of Natanel Yaakov ben Yodit Sarah, and to all those who have been injured, and for the safe return of the Chayalim and Chatufim. We are welcoming the month of Shvat, which is the month of blossoms and potential, of beginning to see the signs that the seeds which were planted will begin to bear fruit. This is particularly relevant right now, since in Israel there has been an incredible phenomenon of returning to working the land. Many farmers have lost workers or have workers who are have left the country or in reserve duty. And so there have been huge numbers of people volunteering to help pick fruits and vegetables or prepare the earth for new planting. It is like we are seeing the new pioneers, Chalutzim 2.0. After I share some Torah thoughts, I will be speaking with Tamar Weissman, who moved with her family to the north, bought a farm, and they are now working towards sustainable living. She will share their story and will talk about the power of reconnecting with the land here in Israel. So Chodesh Shvat is usually the winter time here in Israel, and it is when the seeds have been planted and things are growing under the earth. The fruits are not yet visible. This is particularly a meaningful image for Am Yisrael and for Medinat Yisrael right now. The Mishnah is divided into six darim or orders. The Talmud calls Seder's Ra'im, which literally means seeds, the order of faith. The imagery of planting seeds, both literally and figuratively, is an expression of faith. It's a recurring symbol of hope in rabbinic literature. We will see this in a Talmudic story in just a moment. Also, the only tractate in the Babylonian Talmud in Seder's Ra'im is tractate Brachot, which deals largely with Tefillah and Emunah. So the image of seeds and prayers and planting as hope and potential is closely connected in rabbinic thoughts. One well-known Talmudic story expresses the power of planting. Here is how the story goes in Masachet Ha'anit. One day, Choni was walking along the road when he saw a certain man planting a carob tree. Choni said to him, This tree, after how many years will it bear fruit? The man said to him, It will not produce fruit until 70 years have passed. Choni said to him, Is it obvious to you that you will live 70 years, that you expect to benefit from this tree? He said to him, that man himself found a world full of carob trees. Just as my ancestors planted for me, I too am planting for my descendants. Choni sat and ate bread. Sleep overcame him and he slept. A cliff formed around him and he disappeared from sight and slept for 70 years. When he awoke, he saw a certain man gathering carobs from the tree. Choni said to him, are you the one who planted this tree? The man said to him, I am his son's son. Choni said to him, I can learn from this that I have slept for 70 years, and indeed he saw that his donkey had sired several herds during those many years. Choni went home and said to the members of the household, Is the son of Choni Hama'agel still alive? They said to him, His son is no longer with us, but his son's son is alive. 
He said to them, I am Choni HaMagel. They did not believe him. He went to the study hall where he heard the stagers, where he heard the sages say about one scholar, his halachot are as enlightening and as clear as the years of Choni HaMagel. For when Choni HaMagel would enter the study hall, he would resolve for the sages any difficulty they had. Choni said to them, I am he, but they did not believe him and did not pay him proper respect. Choni became very upset, prayed for mercy, and died. Rava said, this explains the folk saying that people say, give me friendship or give me death. The story of Choni expresses an understandable human concern. What is the point in planting trees which will only be a benefit years after we are gone? Choni, who has incredible gifts and connection to God in this story and in other stories, is used to having immediate gratification and answers. In this story, he is taught the value of patience, of planting not necessarily for himself, but for others, just as others planted for him, and of taking the long view and of understanding that planting is about is a statement of long-term faith. Choni struggles to see the value in the long-term planting in the relationship between himself and future generations. In the scene when he, is, when he comes home and his family doesn't believe him, and again in the Beit Midrash, he feels unrecognized. In this Choni story, the, his children, grandchildren, and nature and tradition all work together to highlight the purpose of planting, of investing in this world, in passing down our tradition, and having faith in the future. If Choni could take the long view and see the fruits of his planting, of his uh, community of his generations planting, then he would see the fruits that that would bear. When I read this Agadah today, I think about the generations before us who were involved in establishing and building the state of Israel. Those who fought in Milchemet Ma'ut, the War of Independence, in the Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, all of our wars. Those who went on to build up this country and this beautiful place to what it is today. Also, those who worked the land, the Chalutzim, the pioneers. Now, their grandchildren, over 70 years later, like in Choni's story, have been called to play their role in this country, in this significant moment. Their bravery, in particular, the bravery of, bravery of those who fought on October 7th and continue to fight for this country today, their bravery is a testament to the fact that the seeds that were planted over 70 years ago have certainly taken root and are growing strong. They have demonstrated their love and commitment to Israel and continue to demonstrate it today through incredible heroism. Others who are not on the front lines are finding their way back to the land and their love for the land itself and drawing strength from this reconnection. I'll close with one incredible image and demonstration that planting is an act of faith. The Chayalim, uh, who were involved in fighting in Kfar Aza on October 7th, managed to uproot a tree with their tank. And they returned there shortly afterwards and planted. There was a photo of these three Chayalim planting a new orange tree, replacing that tree. This is the ultimate statement of their faith and strength and commitment to the state of Israel and to Am Yisrael's future. These are our soldiers, and this is Am Yisrael. May we soon see the fruits of victory and security. Next, I'll be speaking with Tamar Weissman, so please stay tuned. 
teaches Tanakh and Land of Israel Studies and is a licensed tour guide specializing in Northern Israel. She is the author of Tribal Lands, the 12 Tribes of Israel in Their Ancestral Territories, and of the forthcoming Israel's Adolescence, Essays on the Book of Judges. Tamar and her family live on their farm in Moshav Steilan, her home base for sharing her passion and knowledge of the Galil. She blogs on her adventures in farming, guiding, and life in the north at www.fieldofdreams.co.il. Tamar, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. One of the interesting byproducts of this war in Israel has been that many people, young and old, children and grandparents, have volunteered to help out with picking fruit and farm work and a sort of return to working the land, uh, which so characterized the period of Hakamata Medina, the establishment of the state of Israel. As someone who decided with your family to be full-time connected to the land of Israel, I wanted to talk to you about agricultural work and what it does for you and for others and sort of analyze this phenomenon that we're sort of seeing um, happening again uh, amongst our people. So I'm going to jump in with a few questions. Um, you moved with your family about five years ago, if I'm not mistaken, to from the bustling center of Israel to a moshav in the Galil. And uh, you've become a family of farmers, <laughs> sort of. Uh, could you please share a bit about this life choice? Um, how did you come to decide to do this? And what has working the land meant for you as a family? Uh, well, this was a process for us that was um, a long time in coming. It was not an epiphanous moment um, born five, six years ago where we jumped up one bright sunny day and said, let's leave our fabulous community of Malazumim and move up to the Galil and, um, and uh, change our lifestyle completely. Um, there had been a protracted period of time where my husband Ira and I were both uh, thinking more deeply about our future and the future of our family. And uh, Ira especially had been reading quite a bit about, um, about sustainable agriculture and permaculture. And um, he's always been the problem solver uh, in our family and, and, um, and would sometimes even make problems in order to solve them. And saw farming as, as the ultimate uh, context in which to solve problems and um, sometimes even create problems, experiment, and then be able to solve those problems. And, and, and that, that whole thrust of this, this deepening interest in, um, in growing our own food and sustaining ourselves came hand in hand with a certain restlessness that had been growing within us um, where we felt that uh, we were kind of cut off from, uh, from, from the land. And I think that this is something that is shared by many people to certain degrees of uh, intensity. Some feel it far more strongly than others. Many, many people manage to live very rich and fulfilling lives without this sensibility. But for us, we started to feel it more acutely. The sense that um, where we lived, especially, we didn't even have a patch of grass. Um, and there was a, not that we lived necessarily in a concrete jungle. The, our, our community in, um, in Malad Dimim, Mitzvah is um, a, a wonderful bedroom um, community in the, in the desert of Yehuda, Midbar Yehuda, right, right adjacent to Jerusalem. So our views were very arresting and very stark, but we ourselves didn't have much opportunity to, um, to grow things or to connect to the land in the way that we were starting to dream that we might want to connect to the land. 
Um, and so it, again, to summarize, I, I kind of think that there were two streams that met at an opportune time. Uh, one stream was a growing realization that um, we were we would like to try and and, and be as self-sustaining as possible and um, learn about uh, our food sources and uh, be in touch with our food sources and provide for ourselves to the extent that we that we can. You know, it's not like we're growing cocoa trees, so there's a limit right, as, to, as to what we would be able to provide for ourselves. Um, and the second stream was to feel more connected. There's, there was a, a sense of a disconnect. We felt very connected to people. We felt very connected to our community, and we felt very connected to modernity. We were both spending a lot of time in cars and behind screens and um, with other people, and, and that is the modern condition, and it's shared by most of of of, uh, of of people who live in first world countries, I would say at this point, um, and it didn't seem natural. There was just something deep within us that felt a a a, a certain unease, a sense that that is this how the um, the course of our lives are going to go um, with without being able to truly be in touch with what we together called bria. Bria being a very loaded term, but I guess uh, generally could be translated as the entirety of creation beyond humanity, including humanity and beyond humanity. So that those two motivations, uh, both to be able to grow and solve pro- grow our food and solve problems and 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 be more in touch with that which nourishes us and 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 strive um, to um, even live a somewhat of a healthier lifestyle by understanding what our food sources were and um, removing ourselves from the supermarket aisles and getting back into what we uh, as as part of the long span of humanity can grow on our own. That was definitely one stream, and the second stream was just in general to become more connected to the world around us, which we felt was somewhat limited in our circumstance. Again, other people managed to do marvelous things within, um, within an urban uh, climate. They can, um, they, or again, they, they might not feel this need. And, and um, this need isn't, isn't a need that is uh, necessary for everybody to feel. It's just what we were going through. And so those two streams met in an opportune time for us. Um, when our family was uh, anyway shifting, every child was going into a new misguided, a new framework, um, um, graduating high school or moving into um, uh, new new uh, classrooms, and um, one going into first grade and one one very young one, and it just was an opportune time for us to make the move. So um, five and a half years later, here we are uh, in our moshav in Steilan, and um, um, Ira, at least, is, is a farmer. I am uh, see myself more as an observer, farmer's wife. Farmer's wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at the moment, although I, I'm, I'm hoping to play a more active role um, in the months and years to come, especially as the farm is really taking off now. Um, and so we find ourselves here having uh, made that major shift that you were talking about from an urban lifestyle to a, a much, much more rural lifestyle. Just very quickly, what are you growing, taking care of mainly? <laughs> so uh, if the whole vision ideally is to be able to provide for ourselves and grow all of our own food, that's something that um, that is a, a dream. And, and, not, and, and, and there are many dreams that go unrealized. And then there are some dreams that go um, partially realized. So um, we are in 
in the stage of um, developing, of realizing and developing um, how we can actualize that dream of being able to grow most of our own food sources. If, if we're talking about most of our own food sources being um, fruits, vegetables, and proteins, uh, we are not going to be growing our, our own legumes or grains. And again, the cocoa tree is out. Um, coffee beans are not on the horizon. There are major staples that we're always going to need to be to 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 purchase and and, and thank God for modernity um, and the processes that um, that are in place. That in, it, and especially living in um, the world's um, the the world's center of agrotech and and development of agriculture, we see tremendous things that aren't growing necessarily from the ground or on trees. Um, and um, uh, what we, though, are doing uh, is, a, is both back to basics and also forward thinking. So the back to basics part of things are, um, first of all, uh, an, an olive grove, uh, where we um, harvest our own olives for oil. So that's a very important resource of ours. Um, and it, the second branch of, of sustainability is our free-range poultry. Um, everything that, that we're aiming to do on the farm is all organic and free-range. Um, we're trying to move away from um, the dependence on uh, chemical pesticides and chemical fertilizers and try and be as, um, as in tune with the natural cycles of the earth and the dirt and the land and the climate as much as we can. Um, so we raise quail and chickens and turkey. We eat a lot of chicken and turkey. For a while there, we were eating quail, but um, <laughs> because I was, <laughs> and it was, it's, it's, it's just hard. I got to be honest, it's hard to process the quail because they're so tiny and there's a lot of work that goes into each one. Imagine Cornish hens. I don't know if you grew up on Cornish hens. I didn't, but I remember once my mother wanted to throw a very festive meal. So she, so, so she bought Cornish hens and each of us had this little chicken on our plate of a poultry. That's what a quail is. And because it takes so much work, we tend to eat less quail, but we do eat a lot of quail eggs. We wow. eat chicken eggs. We eat quail eggs on a regular basis. Tonight, our dinner is stir fry and it is chicken breast and it's our chicken. Um, part of the, the, the enterprise of moving up here was um, not only raising our own food, but seeing the process of our food from, um, from its genesis to our plate. And um, so with that in mind, Ira um, became a shulchit. And so he um, will take the chicken egg, incubate the egg, hatch the chick, raise the chick. Uh, the chick is free range on our on, on a tendunam olive grove, um, which is fenced off, um, but allowing the chick to um and, and the chickens and the and the turkeys, etc., all the poultry to graze. And then when the time is right, uh he will uh shecht compassionately and properly the the chicken and, and the turkeys uh, and the quail as well. And then they will make it to our dinner. And um, and the eggs will make it to our breakfast. And so we're in the process of uh, of yes, turning over one can say to uh, to sustainability on a certain level. The next stage is a greenhouse, is a chamama. And I think that this is a really important piece. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to take too much time just to discuss what's going on at the farm, but I do want to devote a minute to this. Um, and that's because um, very prosaically, and I think um, a little um, naively, 
myself as as a, someone who grew up in suburbia and uh, always was felt very romantically about farms, but never really experienced what it was like to be a farmer. Always thought, well, the way to do it, especially as a Jewish farmer living in Eretz Israel, is you have your fields and then you section off the corner for peah, right? For that corner, that's it, that that halacha, that mitzvah. Uh, in the Torah about uh, keeping a corner um, separate that doesn't belong to you, that's open for the poor, and all of the other uh, mitzvot that are connected to agriculture. And um, what's important to embrace is the fact that um, creation moves forward at not only a steady clip, but now at a wild roar. Um, We have so much knowledge um, of new technologies that we're implementing. Uh, when I say we, I mean collectively, Israel has developed an entire industry of agrotech, of hydroponics, of aquaponics, of the ability to raise food in a very efficient way that, yes, will take us away from the land. We're not going to be planting our beans and tomatoes and uh, cucumbers, etc. in the ground itself. We will be in a, a hothouse, a greenhouse, um, which comes with its whole own set of halachot. Um, but this is really, really important because um, this is part of kibush. It's part of conquering the land. It's part of conquering Bri'ah. It's, it's part of um, asserting our humanity. Now, that I, on the one hand, I started our conversation by saying I didn't want to feel cut off from Bria. I wanted to dig deep. I want to walk barefoot on the earth. I want to feel the, the heartbeat of the chicken in my hand. But on the other hand, I also want to develop and build and conquer and, and move forward. And if I may, I'll, I'll just quote a line, a beautiful line from Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein Zatzal um, in his Sichat Yom Ha'atzma'ut um, and uh, in one of his Sichot, and where he was talking about the planting of Gan Eden, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ba'atzmo planted the trees for Adam to enjoy. And he says there that upon entering Eretz Israel, we too, just like God, are commanded to plant trees and to cultivate the land not only in relation to all of the mitzvot involved in agriculture, but also to establish the infrastructure for national existence. If God builds an entire world on the foundation of planting trees, then we too are required to plant in Eretz Israel so that there will be a healthy economy and a basis for communal life. And to me, what that means is we are charged to build and develop and implement our new technologies. So that was a long way of saying that another element of our farm is very forward thinking, is this greenhouse, which will be half aquaponics and half hydroponics, um, working with the systems uh, of, of the natural order of things, um, but also working with the latest technology so that we can provide our own food. Right. Wow. Amazing. Like a share bara elokim la asot, right? This idea that God created the world and we have our part to do as well. Really quite amazing while preserving it. I am in awe of you. I have to admit that I, I, I'm that person who is perhaps um, uh, watching and admiring from afar. Um, I can hardly keep up with my fruit trees in my garden, constant, uh, <laughs> constantly trying to improve my, um, my care for them. Uh, and so really, it's such a pleasure to listen to you talk about this. So I want to, um, I want to segue a bit. It's interesting. A lot of what you spoke about with sustainability and with, um, uh, the, the reason why you've come to the, to, to tend the tend the earth and work the land and um, and having uh, developed the farm is something that you know you could say also is true and it's also become a trend around in other places in the world. So why specifically? What is unique for you um, about owning a farm in the land of Israel? I know you touched on this a little bit, and I'll 
Um, I'll kind of connect this uh, to another piece, which is we talked about the cycle. We have also the cycle of the year. So we have Eretz Yisrael and we have the Jewish calendar where um, right now we're in winter, Rosh Chodesh Tibet. And so for this podcast being in honor of Rosh Chodesh Tibet, um, how does both the agricultural aspect and, um, and the land of Israel in particular play into this for you? Um, okay, well, well, to address your um, first question about um, what to us is so meaningful about um, Jews farming in Eretz Israel, uh, initially, when we were thinking about it, when it was just an experiment, I was thinking about my elementary school education with the pictures of a farmer learning Torah during Shemitah and of those um, very romantic views of what it meant to farm. And then coming here and actually developing a farm, having friends who are farmers, learning from many generations um, of, of, uh, of Israeli farmers, um, I, and, and getting to know the rhythms of a farm and um, what it means to grow things in Eretz Israel, what it means to raise animals here as well in Eretz Israel uh, as, a, as a modern Jew. Um, I think that the aside from that instinct or the inclination that many modern people feel to experience in their lives that deep connection to the earth that um, that that we all instinctively yearn for, and that's that's a human instinct. It's not necessarily a Jewish instinct. I think all of us, in the, in the, and especially those who are very much enwrapped in modernity, um, yearn for those those moments, even if they're very brief moments of just going outside and breathing deeply, and 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 our eyes are drawn to the green and the browns and the yellows of nature. Um, that that the the deepest connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, um, for me at least, and I'll speak here very personally, is through the medium of Eretz Yisrael. Um, I, I think that uh, Eretz Yisrael is a, a um, means to connect to Hashem. I think it is made for me in the same way that I believe a, um, a, a spouse is made for his or her spouse in that it is a dynamic an ongoing deepening relationship and um and and it, it perhaps is even in a way less complicated it definitely not perhaps it definitely is less complicated than the richness and growth that one can have through interpersonal relationships like marriage and and parenting um because the land is ever responsive it is god's promise to respond to us through the land, but it's always in the sense of a response. It's however much I can immerse myself in the land and how much I can appreciate the land in all of its facets. And, and I started my appreciation um, much more on an intellectual level or, or, or uh, with archaeology and history and, and anthropology and sociology and getting to know the people here and the history of the land of Israel. And then it started to um, shift into an appreciation of the uh, botany and the, um, and, and the animals of the land of Israel and, and the, the earth itself and the qualities of the earth. And I'm very, very far from um, being anywhere near mastering those fields as well. But every single aspect of Eretz Israel, again, whether it is the, 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 the birds of Eretz Israel or whether it is a, 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 uh, the ruins from uh, 10,000 years ago in Eretz Israel, even predating the Avot, these are all means for us to develop our relationship to Hashem. And I'll, I'll, I'll compare it, let's say, because this is the Eden podcast. So um, in the same way that as we 
um, grow in love with our spouse and we grow more and more fascinated by all of the emergent aspects of this other person because the person is in, is changing. The person is alive. The person is developing. And I'm learning new things about my husband's no matter how many years we've been married. And that just enriches our relationship. So too, the land is has the endless potential to provide uh, the the that that um the whole array of ways to relate to Hashem. So whereas I had spent many years thinking um, about the those who had come before me in the land of Israel, now I am uh, exploring a new facet of what Eretz Israel has to offer, the soil itself. And um, for the first time, actually really, really digging deep into the soil and saying this is a, a new way for me to look at my lover, um, a new birthmark I had never noticed before. Um, and so uh, it is it, and especially I can say seeing it through through Ira's, my husband's and my children's eyes, because they're also very interested in in, um, in in farming. Some of them especially are studying it and moving on in that direction. Um, when they when I when I see how they can connect to the deepest rhythms of the earth uh, as Jews in their land, um, I think that that they are tapping into the deepest connection possible. And I, I admire that deeply and I strive for that. Um, I think if I, uh, I'll, I'll give you one kind of a visual here, right? When, um, when Ira and Ira, it's less land and let's say more animal, right? When Ira is um, growing, um, he's raising a turkey in, in the land of Israel. The turkey is eating from the land of Israel. And then Ira will take his hands and, um, and feel the life. And yes, he'll, he'll in this sense take a life because we take the life of the turkey because that will in turn um, be our nourishment. Right. So that whole process that I see him going through um, is being in touch with Bria, with the broader Bria in a in a very intimate way and also being in touch with Eretz Israel in a very, very intimate way. So the Jew who belongs in Eretz Israel is is getting in touch with Bria through Eretz Israel. That's in response to your first question. In response to your second question about where we are right now in the Jewish calendar and winter and um, where generally we're trained to think of things being very dormant, it happens to be, at least where we live in the lower Galilee, winter is a riot of green. It is the most alive moment in nature that we have uh, in the annual calendar. It also happens to be the time when we do our masik, when we do our olive harvest around Hanukkah time. Um, so we get to... in historically, uh, the Jews who lived in Eretz Israel would use their olive oil that they harvested in late November, early December uh, for their Hanukkiot, for the, for the fulfillment of the mitzvah of, uh, the mitzvah of Hanukkah. Um, and so um, I feel a deep connection to the winter, first of all, as someone who has an, 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 an olive grove and, and participates in the olive harvest, as well as someone who um, lives in, in, in um, I think it, it must be all around the country, but definitely where we live, um, we, this is the time to be outdoors. This is the time to soak in that that the that the um, the greenness of and that the the symbol of life, that color of life that nature provides, uh, is so gorgeous and so evident in Kislev, Tevet, Shvat. And what, so, a different winter from, what a different winter from growing up in the United States. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where, you know, absolutely. I'm used to um, a very thinking of winter as very bleak as uh, dead season. The trees are bare and um, it's, it's miserable to be outside. And here 
um, it's really glorious to be outside. Yes, there are patches of rain, but um, but the the rain is the blessed thing. The rain, as, as we all collectively prayed for rain um, uh, over over this last chag, um, and um, and now we are seeing bracha on the land itself. Yeah. So, Tamar, as this is an Eden Center podcast, uh, I'd like to ask you about the experience of uh, farming and working the land, being connected to the land, in particular as a woman. Um, And more than that, how do you see the imagery of farming, planting, weeding, the growth relating to our lives and our perhaps the cyclical nature of our lives as women? I'm really glad you asked that question because, to be honest, I, I had not really thought in those terms before. And I just kind of hit farming in stride. This is what needs to be done. And this is how we go about doing it. And there are definitely cycles to things. There's the life cycle. There's the climate cycle. The cycles of the Chagim and Halakha that dominate how we can practice our agriculture, right? Like Shemitah, for instance, is part of the cycle that uh, is a large cycle that really impacts farming and agriculture in Israel. Although, like I had mentioned before, to a lesser degree, when we're dealing with when we're dealing with the farming that's not coming from the ground itself, like kind of farming that's done with hydroponics and aquaponics and greenhouses. But relating back to women, I think of the impact that our move made on our on our daughters specifically. And um, Baruch Hashem, we have four daughters, and uh, they all made the move with us. And um, one of them is is newly married, and so um, beginning also her uh, journey, let's say, in in understanding um, the fr- from a halachic vantage point, and and from just a, um, where she is in, in her life cycle, um, what the what the cycles of a of a woman's body uh, entail, and and she's the one who is um, going to be. Um, uh, at the moment, at least, most involved in farming. She works for an organization that matches up farmers to um, to uh, people to farmhands and volunteers. So I think of her and my other daughters um, as um, as the ones who are along with me, I suppose, and along with countless other women, for the first time discovering that we are part of a or or maybe not for the first time, but in in a very very new way, discovering that we as women are part of a much larger picture of Bria that is all cyclical. We're very used to uh, our little boxes made of tiki-taki. That's why I like to call it the little constructs that we make for ourselves. Even um, as married halachic women, we are tied to text very often. We are tied to a classroom. We're tied to schedules and calendars. And we're, we focus very much inward. The, the farming aspects and the connection with the land allows us to reflect outwards and see that um, the cycles that a, a woman is a woman especially, goes through are mirrored and paralleled in the cycles that the earth goes through. Um, and as you pointed out, uh, in the winter, we're dealing with a lot of uh, perhaps a, 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 a potential um, that will reach its um, actualization in the spring, where what looks like decay or what looks like a holding pattern and a holding period will, we discover with the earth, bear fruit. Uh, even if we can't see it right now. And I guess, thank you for, for making me think in this way. I guess that's very, very similar to what we see um, going on on the farm, where um, for many months things may lay, may lay dormant, and then all of a sudden they burst forth with life. And so I guess to a very large degree that parallels a, um, a woman's cycle and um, how we also have ebbs and flows to our lives. And just by being able to see ourselves within that larger picture, I think that that's what we're talking about with it with the um, 
with the ichud, the ichud habriah bonagid, the the interconnectivity of all of of all of creation, where we are one part of a much larger picture. I love that. That's beautiful. I was thinking as you were talking about the bearing fruit, uh, we have this one tree in our garden, which is our absolute favorite, which is a lychee tree. Lychee, lychee. People say it differently. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a funny thing because every couple of years it doesn't bear fruit. It kind of has a couple of years of bearing fruit in the summer, and then every now and then it just takes a break for a year. And like every three, four years, it's sort of random. And um, yeah, I just think about that also. Like the, you know, not sometimes things are um, kavua, things are regular in our bodies as women, and then there are different times in our life where it's a surprise, things are irregular, there are changes, um, or or perhaps uh, disappointments. And um, and I, I think there's there's a lot there to uh, to keep thinking about. And so. Absolutely. That, that just made me think about one um, one episode that we just went through um, where we were falling short on eggs for a couple of months. And, and Ira was getting concerned because uh, egg consumption is a very big part of our diet. And we were slowly dwindling. And Ira thought maybe it had to do with the fact that the, that the poultry just wasn't able to forage because the rains had not yet come. And so there wasn't much available for them. And then he started supplementing and, and um, really wanting, aiming to go back to the full-on foraging. And all of a sudden, literally, it was like from one day to the next, we were once again in eggs. We had like this shefa of of eggs. Now we are, I don't want to say we're literally swimming in eggs, but we have, you know, an overabundance beyond our needs of eggs. And it's so startling and so surprising. And sometimes the surprise is a disappointment. And but sometimes the surprise is this abundance that you're that you're not expecting. And that is just the the beautiful aspect of life that we're so used to observing maybe in our own little um homes well, I don't mean to say, in our in our own smaller lives, in our own focused inward lives. But as soon as we focus outward, we realize that Bria is there for us to tap into and to learn from and to connect with. And there's so much similarity. I just I'll, I don't want to belabor this, but I'll just uh, add one more uh, little anecdote. Uh, the first time that Ira um, shechted a, a, a chicken and you know it was examining um, the interior and, and, and dealing with it because he takes it from shechting all the way to our plate, so having to butcher, etc. And he came back and he remarked at how similar it was to our anatomy how interconnected we all are. And as you pointed out, that marvelous dynamic and surprise and delight, and yes, sometimes disappointment, sometimes sorrow, but we hope more for abundance and bracha is part of um, the much larger bria, not just, not just our human lives. Wow, so beautiful. Um, I, uh, I'll just close with saying that my one of my one of my children in tenth grade, um, as soon as the it was safe enough and uh, the schools arranged it so that it would work out, I started going and volunteering on um, local farms and helped with picking, helped with preparing the earth, and some of it's been very difficult work. Uh, and uh, I kind of calling them, you know, the Halutzim 2G, right? Like the you know the new pioneers of, of Israel. And it just you know makes me think uh, hearing you hearing everything you're talking about and and the both the physical and the spiritual aspects of um, increasing our relationship with the land. Um, I think uh, it's an amazing thing to think about for and maybe a future podcast and for our children here in Israel, how to incorporate more of this. It's, you know, if there's, um, it's been such a, um, it's been such a horrific few weeks um, and somehow people in Israel managed to focus on um, some of the, uh, the positive things that have uh, been happening around us to keep us strong. And I have to say, that's definitely been, that's definitely been one, um, one of them for my son. 
Absolutely. And I think that your son's experience is a vital one and, and, and Bezrat Hashem will impact him in the months and years to come because there's so many ways to contribute. Um, you know, like, um, um, in the, uh, like, um, in, in, on all fronts and, um, in, ORF, excuse me, not all Kevin, I'm sorry. Uh, on the on the ORF on the on the on the um, home front. Um and um and and but this way, this way of um of engaging in the land um is something that is so human and is something that is so um so natural to us. And I'll just add, you know, before we have to close, I'll add um, a couple of lines from the philosopher uh, Aaron David Gordon, um, who was one of the Chalutzim of the second Aliyah. And he, um, writing over 100 years ago, um, in I have the year down here in 1911, in an essay called People and Labor, wrote that the Jewish people has been completely cut off from nature and imprisoned within city walls these 2,000 years. So not just the modern uh, situation of mankind, but that this is a a situation that the Jewish people specifically um, have suffered from, he felt. Um, we We have become accustomed to every form of life except to a life of labor. And then he continues on 10 years after that in further reflection. And he is talking about the labor in the agricultural labor in Eretz Israel. And he says the following beautiful words. He says, for the Jew laboring in the fields, it is the life we want, no more and no less than that, our own life feeding on our own vital sources in the fields and under the skies of our homeland, a life based on our own physical and mental labors. We want vital energy and spiritual richness from this living source. We come to our homelands in order to be planted in our natural soil from which we have been uprooted to strike our roots deep into its life-giving substances and to stretch out our branches in the sustaining and creating air and sunlight of our homeland. And so even if it is the, the, the milchama that is bringing us back to the land, it is a wonderful and blessed enterprise that, that we are now en masse engaging in. And it's really beautiful to see. A beautiful thought. Thank you so much. It should be a Chodesh Tov. Amen. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.